0: Please be seated. I promise you won't have to stand up again for a few minutes at least. This is your Christmas exercise evening. Well, this evening we're just going to take a few moments to read and meditate on the birth account of Jesus Christ from Luke's Gospel. Two of our elders have already read From these passages that we'll be looking at this evening, verses 1 through 20 of chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel. We're just going to make a few remarks about the significance of Jesus' birth, which of course is the reason why we're all gathered here this evening to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, of Jesus the Christ, of the Savior of God's people. Perhaps you're here this evening because you were dragged here by a family member or loved one or someone that you're sweet on who asked you to come to church with them on Christmas Eve. Perhaps you're here because you think it's appropriate. It's tradition in my family that we go to worship on Christmas and Easter especially. I wish to tell you that the real reason that we are gathered here this evening is neither family nor tradition but Christ. We're here this evening to worship Almighty God for sending His Son into the world to be born of a virgin, born in a manger, that He would die and pay for the sins of all His people. We're here to worship, and I want to encourage you to orient your heart and mind along those lines as we continue to worship God through hearing His Word this evening. Luke chapter 2 Verses 1 through 20. This is the word of God. Do please take heed how you hear it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. Well, perhaps history is not your favorite subject But most of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the name Caesar Augustus. He's a very well-known figure in the history of Western civilization. He's the grand-nephew of Julius Caesar, ruler of the Roman Empire. By all accounts, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful person in the entire world at the time of Jesus' birth. Even up until today, very few, if any, people have matched him in the breadth of their power and influence. This is clear just from the opening verses of our text. From nearly 1,500 miles away, Caesar was able to snap his fingers, and hundreds of thousands of people were forced to go to their family's hometown, uprooted and moved in order to be registered in a census. And don't miss this, the census was for the purpose of taxation. Caesar was not only powerful enough to make people move, He was powerful enough to take all their money. In fact, verse 1, it says that he declared that all the world, all the world should be registered. That's power. That's power. But what you might not realize is that behind the scenes, God is in total control of this situation. He's even in control of Caesar Augustus, isn't he? You see, from ancient days, long before Caesar Augustus was even a glimmer in his great, 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 great granddaddy's eye, long before the Roman Empire was even a thought on the horizon, God had made promises and prophecies to his people concerning the long awaited Messiah, the King of Israel. He had promised King David that a descendant of his would rule over God's people forever. He had promised Israel through the prophet Micah that he would send this child to be born in the town of Bethlehem. And in order to make this happen, you see, Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth, some 80 miles north of Bethlehem. You remember the scripture reading, both our reading from this morning and our morning worship service, as well as one of our lessons. The angel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a particular young lady named Mary who was betrothed to a particular young man named Joseph who just happened to be from the line of David. And so when time for this census came, where should they have to go but Bethlehem to the city of David? How would God get this young couple to Bethlehem 80 miles away, there's not a lot of Airbnbs in Bethlehem. The text tells us that there was not even room for them in the inn. There was no vacation days back then. And so something had to occur in order to uproot Joseph and Mary and move this unique couple south 80 miles for a registration for taxation in a city that may, they may never have even been to before. Enter Caesar Augustus. God uses the most powerful man on earth to unfold his plan. He uses the most powerful person on the planet the way that you or I would use a pen or a pencil to write down exactly what we want it to say. Do you realize what this means? It means the most powerful people on earth are pawns, in the hands of a sovereign God. The most powerful people on earth are merely tools to be used by God for his ends, for his purposes. God moves hundreds of thousands of people around the geography of Israel, around the world, in fact, to be registered, all for the purpose of keeping his promise that Jesus would be born. In Bethlehem. My friends, have you ever felt like you are in an impossible situation? An impossible situation? Like you can't get to where you need to go. You can't accomplish what you must accomplish. Your circumstances feel impossible. Perhaps it seems like they're too bad to even be fixable or too difficult to overcome. Luke would have you know that God can use and has used and does use any and every means to accomplish His perfect will in the world and in the lives of His people. As we read this morning in chapter 1, verse 37, the angel says to Mary, nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. He can move millions of people for a census to have one baby born in one town. You can trust Him with your issues. You can trust Him with your difficulties. In fact, you can trust Him and Him alone with your eternal life. <clears throat> Listen again to where Jesus is born, the setting into which the God of the universe takes on human flesh. Joseph went up from Galilee to a town, the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage of David. And while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth, and she gave birth and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There's no room for them in the inn, so he's born perhaps even outside or in a cave or in a little lean-to barn. then he's laid down in a dugout trench where the animals would eat their food. I wonder if you're familiar with the name George Alexander Lewis. George Alexander Lewis, he is not uh, an ancient theologian, although with God's kindness and mercy he may grow up to be one. Uh, He's also known as Prince George of Cambridge, uh, the prince and princess of Wales' firstborn son. Prince George was born at the distinguished St. Mary's Hospital of London. At his birth, the government issued special commemorative coins to honor his birth. There were 21 gun salutes in no less than four British territories. He was baptized by the Archbishop of Canterbury with water that had been taken out of the Jordan River. That's how a prince is born into the world, isn't it? fanfare and coins and special events and international publicity. But Jesus, the God who created the universe, who upholds it by the word of his power, who is himself the exact imprint of the very nature of God, he was born to a teenage girl in a small town with no one there to even help with the birth. And when he cried his first cries, he was wrapped in dusty cloths and laid in a slobber-filled animal-feeding trough. What indignity our Savior endured from the moment He came to earth. Yet as the Puritan theologian Ezekiel Hopkins said, the abasing nativity of Jesus Christ is the highest advancement of God's glory. The abasing nativity of Jesus Christ is the highest advancement of God's glory. There's a wonderful Christmas song entitled, How Should a King Come? And the first verse verse says this, Even a child knows the answer, of course, in a coach of gold with a pure white horse, in a beautiful city in the prime of the day, and the trumpets should cry and the crowds make way, and the flags fly high, in the morning sun, and the people all cheer for the sovereign one. And everyone knows that's the way that it's done. That's the way that a king should come. Does this sound at all like what we read in Luke 2, 1 through 7? Does Jesus' birth sound royal to you? Does it sound particularly kingly? My friends, The reason for Jesus' lowly, humble birth is the first indication that His message, His gospel is one of humility, and that those He came to seek and save are humble in heart. The gospel is not reserved for the upper class. It's not reserved for the elite of the elite. It's not reserved for the morally flawless and the societally privileged. Jesus came in the humblest of circumstances to offer forgiveness of sins and peace with God to anyone who would place their faith in him alone. Anyone. Anyone here who would place their faith in him alone. Have you ever felt maybe like this whole Christianity thing is a little bit too highbrow for you? A little bit too elevated? It's about bow ties and sharp suits and young men wearing Nice hats and people coming to church in their Sunday best. Maybe you worry that you won't be accepted because of your past or because of your sins or because of your present circumstances. My friends, look at how Jesus was born. Does he seem like the sort of Savior who tells people to stay away? They're too dirty for him. That tells people to back off. They're not good enough yet for him. Jesus was born like this to welcome you and me when we come to his feet. He was born in the most humble circumstances to show you that there is no one too low for his grace and mercy. He was laid in a slobber-filled trough to show that there is no one too filthy or too dirty for his redeeming love. He was born in a backwoods town to show that there's no one too uneducated He was born to a virgin girl to show there was no one too young. He was born to Joseph and Mary to show that there's no one too poor or too weak for him to save by his marvelous grace. Who are you this evening? Do you know that Jesus is for you? He welcomes all who are weary and heavy laden. Won't you consider placing your faith in Jesus today, even as we celebrate his wondrous and yet humble birth? Well, the first people to hear about this miracle birth are shepherds. Now, that might not mean much to you. We've kind of romanticized shepherds in our day, haven't we? King David was a shepherd after all, man after God's own heart. Shepherds can't be all that bad. Pastors are called shepherds, elders are called shepherds. We're under shepherds of Jesus who called himself the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd according to Peter. But in reality, there were very few people in society who were considered lower than shepherds at the time when Jesus entered the world. They were ranked one step above lepers and prostitutes. Shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in a law court case because they were considered untrustworthy. But here we read that God in his mercy and grace chose to share the first Christmas sermon and to sing the first Christmas carol with shepherds. Isn't that crazy? That the first people God sends his angels to, a choir of angels, the sky is filled with a heavenly host singing glory to God and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And they sing it in a field outside the city to a bunch of shepherds. God in his providence shows us that not only are Jesus' earthly beginnings humble, but so is his welcoming party. Poor Joseph and Mary, you can picture them tired from an 80 mile long trip while nine months pregnant on foot. They arrive in town and there's not even anywhere for them to stay. There's no family nearby to help Mary deliver the baby and to wipe the sweat off her brow as she labored. No mother there to to teach her how to nurse the child or to change him or anything like that. They're exhausted. Likely trying to catch what will surely be sporadic broken sleep for the next couple of months as the baby Jesus gets into a rhythm of eating and waking and sleeping. And suddenly, a group of dirty, smelly, societal outcasts comes knocking on the door to worship their son. How wonderful is that? What a baby shower! In fact, ladies, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But this is all according to God's plan, isn't it? This is how God intended it to be. He's the one that sent the angels. They weren't on their way to the king's palace. They weren't on their way to visit royal families around the world. They weren't on their way to visit the religious leaders and got lost over the field. God said, go to them. Proclaim the good news to them he sent his messengers out to the streets to drag people who otherwise wouldn't be invited to the party he was throwing for his son. And that's how it is for us in salvation, isn't it? God declares the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ alone to everyone and anyone who will hear it. And he says, come. Come and eat And buy without price. If you're thirsty, come and drink without price and have your fill. And springs of living water will well up within you and you'll never be thirsty again. He did this. He sent these angels to these shepherds all so you and I could read this account and realize that we don't need to be clean before coming to Christ. Indeed, we can't, can we? We can't be clean before coming to Christ because apart from Him, we're dirty, we're sinners, we're filthy and totally unable to save ourselves. We don't need to fix our lives before we ask for forgiveness. Isn't that the point? And yet somehow Satan has brilliantly convinced millions of people that what they really need to do is straighten up first and then come to church and then become a member and then Christ will be ready to receive you. That's backwards of the gospel. That's the total opposite of the gospel. We don't need to fix up our lives and start reading our Bibles every day and stop smoking or stop struggling with anxiety or with depression before we come to worship Jesus at His feet. The shepherds came because he invited them, and they went away different than when they came. They didn't make themselves different and then come. You see the difference? What freedom there is in a gospel like that. Come to Jesus Come to Him, repent and believe in Jesus, and then be sent from Him full of joy, having been changed by the work of His Spirit in your heart, having been made new by the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Titus 3 tells us that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. God did not send Jesus to those who do righteousness to earn his favor. He sent them. He sent him not because of our righteousness, but according to his mercy. He didn't send Jesus to save those who elevate themselves to a savable level. He sent him according to his mercy. Listen to what this means at Christmas. It means that if you are just like those shepherds, Outcast, dirty, the lowest of the low, uneducated, from the backwoods, you can come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus. Go to Him. In humility and repentance and worship, acknowledge that he alone is the king and savior and that he accepts all who come to him that are humble in heart. And when you do, the immediate response is that your heart joins the chorus of the angel choir, glory to God in the highest and peace to me, even me, because he's been pleased to shine his favor upon me. When you place your trust in Jesus, he becomes the object of your adoration and your love and your worship. And then you proclaim with a loud voice, glory to God in the highest. And you go away like these shepherds do, glorifying and praising God for all that you have heard and seen, as it has been told to you even this evening. Well, as we prepare to end our candlelight service lighting the candles and singing Silent Night, I want us to take a few moments to silently contemplate a few things, or as the text says about Mary, she pondered these things in her heart. Ponder for a moment with me the sovereignty of God, the complete control and awesome power He has over all things. You have nothing to fear if God is for you. Contemplate, ponder with me, the humble birth of our Savior, the humble estate into which he was born, the humble welcoming party he received, the humility that he displayed. And ponder with me the open invitation his gospel proclaims. Come to me, all who are weary, dirty, who long for great joy and good news, Jesus is born for you. Jesus is born for you. Let's spend a couple moments in silent contemplation of who Christ is and what He's done for us.